Well, today is Pentecost Sunday, Whit Sunday, and we rightly remember the great day when the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God, to his waiting church. The Lord Jesus had promised that he would send the power from on high and that they would be clothed with power from on high if they waited there in Jerusalem. And that's exactly what they did. He promised that the comforter, the teacher, would come to them. And when he did, he promised that they would be equipped for service and empowered to take the gospel to the world beginning at Jerusalem. We need to remember that the Holy Spirit has never been withdrawn from the church. He is still present now and he is at work in every believer. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no salvation. You and I could not be saved were it not for the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no new birth because the Holy Spirit is the author of new birth. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no understanding of the scripture because it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to understand the Bible. And without the Holy Spirit, you and I could not even pray because prayer is inspired by the Spirit of God. And there's no fellowship with the Father and the Son without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no power in the church. There's no effectiveness in preaching. There's no preachers who will be called to preach the word of God. And there will be no new churches being formed. There will be no effective evangelism. In short, without the Holy Spirit, the church is dead and the individual Christian would not exist. That's not to say that there wouldn't be attempts to do things, but none of them would be of any spiritual value or effectiveness without the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has never been withdrawn from the church. But we must also say this. The Holy Spirit is not always powerfully and closely at work in the church or in us as individual Christians. There are times when the Holy Spirit seems to withdraw a little from us. There are times when we don't feel him in as great a measure as we do at other times. Every Christian knows something about this. The Holy Spirit is a person and people can be grieved just as in human relationships. Our human relationships are not always as close as they are at certain times. Sometimes you can grieve somebody. Sometimes you can upset them. And there is a distance, even though physically you might still be together, there is something between you. And this is so with the Holy Spirit, which is why we're told in Ephesians chapter 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We're also told that it is possible to even put out the Spirit's fire, to quench the Spirit. In other words, if the Spirit is burning powerfully and at work powerfully, it is possible for us by our actions and our sins and our attitudes to put that fire out, to make it less effective. 
He can withdraw from us as Christians. There are times when we do feel that he is distant from us. Usually this is because we have offended him because of our sins or because of our worldliness or because of our neglect of the very things that God has put in place for our good. We neglect prayer. It's no wonder that we feel distant from God if we stop praying. We neglect the reading of the Bible. It's no wonder that we feel that God is far from us when we're not listening to his voice. We neglect the collective worship of God's people. It's no wonder that we don't feel God close if we don't attempt to draw near to him together. We neglect the Lord's table or perhaps we've been neglecting baptism, a command of the Lord or fellowship with other Christians. And so there are times when we feel that he is distant from us. And there is also times when the church as a whole feels that he is distant. There are times when the Holy Spirit is present in great measure. He is felt and the church is strong and vibrant. There is life and there is vigor in the church, resulting in greater devotion, in more fervent worship in the greater evidence of the fruit of the Spirit amongst God's people. And that there's a greater desire for spiritual food and for prayer. There are times of revival and times of renewal. And then there are other times in church life where things are at a low ebb and things are hard and we feel that, the, that God is not at work as powerfully as he once was. Pentecost is a pattern for us. It is the very first of these great times of the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. And the result was powerful witness, boldness of speech, fellowship and love amongst God's people. There was a focus on Jesus and what he has done for us. There was growth in the church, sudden growth in the church. And the world sat up and took notice. And there have been many times in the history of the world where this has happened. There have been many times of revival in the church of the Lord Jesus. There have been times in Wales. There was a time when Wales was known as the land of revival, wasn't there? And we think of going back to the 1750s in Wales. The 1850s, 1859, and most recently, although it's out of living memory for all of us, 1904, 1905, the revival as people call it. There have been many times when God has come in great power to his church. There have been times like this in other parts of the world, more recently, within living memory, but again a long time ago. Think of a place like Java. Now Java has known a number of times of great revival. Back in the 1960s, in the early 1960s, there was a, a terrible time for Christians in, uh, in Java. There was an uprising amongst the Muslim population. First of all, they were turning against the communists, but also against the Christians because they believed that the Christians were in league with the communists. And in that uprising in Java, as many as one million lives were lost during October, November and December in 1965. A million lives were lost. 
And during those painful years, God was preparing his church for revival. Back in 1959, a small Bible college had been set up in East Java. It had 17 students. But over the next eight years, it grew to over 100 students and many on the waiting list. And in 1967, God came to those students in that Bible college. Teachers and students alike experienced a deep spiritual hunger. And the way it was described is like this. That deep spiritual hunger erupted into revival. That's an important word, erupted into revival. The school had a prayer meeting uh, which lasted deep into the night. Both the students and the teachers were confessing sin and asking one another for forgiveness. A revival was breaking out. They had a greater zeal and determination for mission. And uh, they went out into Java and throughout the whole of Indonesia. And many, many people heard the good news. This is what one writer comments about those times. During the past few months, we have had at times a foretaste of heaven. There's never been so much praise and thanksgiving, so much singing at the school before. Never before have the teachers and the students been united by such a band of love. The Lord has poured forth the early and the latter rain. Great things have happened among us and on nine other islands through the ministry of 17 teams. God was at work, you see. And you notice the words that were used. It erupted into, into a revival. Revival was breaking forth. There are also times in the Bible when we see this happening. Even before Pentecost, even in the Old Testament, there were times when God came suddenly and revival erupted. And one of those times was in the time of King Hezekiah, which is why we read that passage from 2 Chronicles chapter 29. And my message this morning can be summed up in one word. It's a word that occurs in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 36. But unfortunately, you'll search in vain for it in the NIV, because they've used a different word. But it also comes in Acts chapter 2 and verse 2. And you're familiar with this. Acts chapter 2 and verse 2. The very first word is the word suddenly. Suddenly. Acts 2 verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. You also find the same word in 2 Chronicles 29 verse 36. And it reads like this in the NIV. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. Now that's wrong. There's the difference between something being done quickly and something happening suddenly. And the word should be suddenly, as it is in the uh, New King James Version and the ESV. It should read like this. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done suddenly. Suddenly. When God works, he comes suddenly. This was true of Pentecost. 
the Lord Jesus had told the disciples to wait. You remember that in Acts chapter 1, just the previous chapter. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. This is what Jesus told them before he ascended into heaven. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And then verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So they were told to wait. Wait in Jerusalem. He didn't tell them how long. He simply told them to wait. And they waited. But not just sitting around doing nothing. They waited by meeting together every day in an upper room in Jerusalem and praying together. Not only did they pray together, but they also read the Bible. They studied the Old Testament. They were trying to understand what it was that was happening to them. And they understood that they needed to replace Judas. And so they did that. And they understood that God was doing something new. And so they read the book of Joel so that they were ready for the time when God did come. And then the day dawned. It was just an ordinary Sunday morning. An ordinary Sunday morning, like the Sunday morning that you and I have just had. They got out of their beds, they did the normal things, and then they went and they met together in their upper room on this ordinary Sunday morning. But it was to be a very extraordinary Sunday. Because as they met to pray together, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. When God works, he comes suddenly. And this was true in the time of Hezekiah as well, 700 years before Pentecost. In the first month of the first year of Hezekiah's reign, God came to them. We find in verse 36 of 2 Chronicles 29, that what God had brought about, he brought about suddenly. He did it suddenly. There was no warning. There was no indication that anything would happen. Suddenly, everything changed. And we need to remember this. You and I need to remember this. It's the greatest comfort in times of trouble and in need that God can work and he can work suddenly. He came at Pentecost. And the same God, the same Holy Spirit, can come in power at any time. And he can come suddenly. Because that's how God works. It isn't something that we work up and move towards and plan and prepare for. It is something that God does. And he does it suddenly. But there's another thing. Second thing, when God works, he comes to a spiritually weak and sinful church. When God works, he comes to a spiritually weak and sinful church. Again, we may think that revival comes when the church is in a good place, when the, God, when the church is doing well, when people are being fervent. But no, that is the result of revival. It is not the cause. And this was true in a way at Pentecost. The church at Pentecost was a weak church. Think how weak it was. 
120 people. That's all. The church in chapter 2 of Acts numbered 120 people. 120 men and women meeting together. The church was small and the church was scared. The Lord Jesus, their master, had only recently, just a month or so back, been arrested and put to death. Yes, he'd been raised from the dead and that gave them great encouragement, but now he'd gone to heaven and they were left alone. They were weak, they were small, they were scared. Just 40 days before this, they were scattered and afraid, meeting behind, sorry, 50 days, they were meeting behind locked doors, weak and failing. Even Peter had denied the Lord and felt wretched about his sin. But here, on this Sunday morning, this day of Pentecost, well, God came suddenly to this weak and sinful group and in an instant they were changed and they became bold in witness and fearless in life and ready to die for the Saviour who had died for them. What a transformation! All because God came. It was also true in the time of Hezekiah. In the time of Hezekiah, back in 2 Chronicles, for the previous 16 years, Hezekiah's father had ruined the land. He had shut the doors of the temple of God and it was left to decay. The doors were shut, there was no worship going on, there were no priests serving God, there were no Levites. The doors of the temple had been shut. Ahaz had engaged in worship of idols, of Baal, and all the gods of the surrounding nations. He had even sacrificed his own children in the fire. And he provoked the Lord to anger. Ahaz was unfaithful and he led the people away from the worship of the true God. There was weakness and there was great sin in the land. For 16 years... The main 16 years of Hezekiah's life, this was happening. From the time when he was just a very young boy, from the time when he was just nine years old, his father Hezekiah started to do all of this. And through most of Hezekiah's life, he had lived in a time of spiritual decay and declension where the worship of God was not prioritized and when enemy armies were constantly threatening God's people. That's the sort of world that Hezekiah came to the throne in. And it was a sort of world where he could have done all sorts of things. He could have thought, when I'm king, the first thing I'm going to do is to deal with the economic problems of the country. He could have done that, couldn't he? Or he could have said, when I become king, the first thing that I'm going to do is to deal with the military threat of Assyria. I'm going to strengthen the army. I'm going to make sure that we've got strong cities. He could have done that, but he didn't. When he became king, the first thing that he did was to say, we have got to get right with God. And when he did that, God came. Suddenly. The, weak, the church was weak and sinful, the church was powerless in Hezekiah's day, but God came. 
When the church is in a poor and sad and wretched state, and when God's people are far from him, filled with idolatry and wickedness, when the worship of God has become formal and empty, when the word of God is neglected and the people of God are faithless, God can come. We must never forget that. God can come. Remember that. Don't you think that the church is in a very poor state right now in Wales? We are powerless. We are ineffective in a world that ignores the church and thinks that the Christian message is totally irrelevant and old-fashioned. We don't even register on the radar of most people. The government is kind towards us because it listens when we say, can we stay open during the pandemic? We will make sure that it's safe. And they say, fine, we believe you will. You get on with it. But then they forget all about the church. And why should they think about the church? It just seems so irrelevant because the church is powerless. The church is in a poor spiritual state. We ourselves surely are not what we should be. Is your Christian life how you really want it to be? Do you really feel that you are as close to God as you should be? Really, is, is our first love and our first desire and our greatest desire, is it God himself or is it something else? The greatest desire of most of us as Christians is not for the worship of God and for desiring God. What about the Bible? How well do you know the Bible? Is the Bible the most important and precious book that you ever possess? Is it often opened by you? Do you seek prayerfully to understand what it says? Are you listening to the voice of God regularly? What does it mean to you? What about prayer? Do you eagerly look forward to a prayer meeting? To meet with God's people, to pray with them, to lift up your voice to God in prayer and to join in the needs of God's people? Or do you say, well, I'm actually too busy to even go to a prayer meeting? And what about the Lord's Day? Do we eagerly look forward to meeting together? And are our meetings filled with the presence and the knowledge of God so that we say, really, I could have stayed there all day? Or do we say, well, I've done that. Let's get on with the rest of the day. I'm not criticizing anybody because I look at my own heart and we say, look, where are we? Surely the church in our day is in a poor state, a weak state spiritually. And it might grieve us that it is so. And we might even remember better days, although none of us can remember revival. We may remember better days, though. We're not what we ought to be. But we must never be discouraged because God can come to a weak and a sinful church because he's done it in the past and he can do it again. When God works, he comes to a spiritually weak and sinful church. But there is a third and a final point. When God works... He draws us back to the cross as the focus 
of our worship. When God works, he draws us back to the cross as a focus of our worship. You see, none of this means that there is nothing that we can do until revival comes. It's very much like those disciples, those 120 men and women in that upper room. They could have said, well, Jesus said we've just got to wait. So we'll just wait. We won't do anything. We'll just wait. They could have said to each other, well, clearly there's nothing we can do without the power from on high. Jesus said we're going to be clothed with power from on high and then we'll be able to get out there and then the world will listen. And they could have said, well, let's just wait then. Let's just sit around. Let's do other things while we're waiting. We'll get on with our lives. We'll do this. We'll do that. No, they didn't. They knew that the waiting was an active waiting. And right now, we, and for a very long time, the church has been in a period of waiting. But we don't just sit back and do nothing. We have many things that God has commanded us to do. We are to preach the gospel. We are to know the word of God. We are to devote ourselves to prayer. We are to make sure that we are living lives that are for the glory and honor of God. We are to search the scriptures and seek to understand the days in which we're living. We're to do all of that. And that's part of the waiting, isn't it? And we are to draw back to the cross and make sure our focus is on the cross. Before Pentecost, they met together every day. They read the Bible and they applied it to their situation. And they sought to understand what God had done in sending Jesus. In other words, they were seeking to reform the church. To make sure that the church was what it ought to be. To do everything that they could do. Even that required the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. But that's what they did. And before God came in Hezekiah's day, before that little verse that said that these things were done and God had brought it about, suddenly, what was happening? Well, Hezekiah said, now, I'm king now, and on the very first month of my first year of being king, we're going to open the doors of the temple. We're going to clear it out. We're going to purify it. And you Levites and you priests, you've got to purify yourselves as well. You've got to do everything that God's word tells you to do. And he set about a reformation of temple worship according to the word of God. And he brought the people back to God. He encouraged consecration of life and purity of worship. And then what did he do? He sent messages far and wide throughout all the land, even as far as Israel and the nations that had split away. And he said, come, come to Jerusalem. Let's celebrate the Passover like it's never been celebrated before, like it's not been celebrated for years and years and years. And he drew them all back for the Passover. Why the Passover? Because the Passover reminded them of the greatest event that had ever happened in the history of God's people in the Old Testament. Because the Passover reminded them of Egypt. And the lamb was slain in Egypt that they might be forgiven of their sins and brought out of Egypt and delivered from the Egyptian slavery. And what must we do? 
We don't go back to the Passover. We don't celebrate the Passover. We don't remember that as the greatest event that ever happened because the greatest event that has ever happened is the cross. Not the lamb slain in Egypt, but the lamb slain on Calvary is what we must focus on. And the redemption of God's people as a result of Jesus' death, that's what we must focus on because that's the only way that salvation can come. And when God came at Pentecost, the gospel was preached. The lamb slain for sinners was the theme of the first Christian sermon. And it must always be the great theme of our church worship. When God comes, he draws us back to the cross. And that is what we need more than anything else in the church. And we can do that. We can come back ourselves to the cross. But then we can pray that God in his great love might suddenly come again to his people. Hezekiah faced a crisis, you see. And with this I close because I want to apply this to us, not just in terms of revival, but also where we are. Hezekiah faced a crisis. It was a military crisis. Israel had already um, devastated the land of Judah under his father's rule. Assyria was the great power that was looming large on the horizon. But his father, Ahaz, had appealed to Assyria for help. Instead of helping them, Assyria started to oppress them. He was facing a terrible military crisis. How would he respond? Or how do we respond? How do we respond to crisis in the church? If it's a financial crisis, we tend to focus on money, don't we? If it's a pandemic, we tend to focus on health. If it's falling numbers in the church, we tend to focus on getting more people in. Hezekiah faced a military crisis, but he didn't give a military response. He focused on the spiritual life of the people of God. He focused on God and on the worship of God. He knew that only when the people of God returned to their God wholeheartedly to worship him, only then are they truly safe and strong and bold and effective. And what crisis are you facing in your life? We all face crises, don't we? What crisis are you facing and how are you going to respond to it? If it's a financial crisis, are you going to focus on money? If it's a health crisis, are you going to focus on health? What are you going to focus on? The thing that we need to focus on is our relationship with God. That's what needs to be right first. There are other things that can be dealt with later, but that is the first thing. Make sure you're right with God. And then you can deal with other things with his help and presence. Don't focus on those other things, because that will get you nowhere. But the first great need of all of us as God's people is to be right with him. And it is to such people and to such a church that God comes suddenly. Well, may he bless his word to us on this Pentecost Sunday as we consider these things. I can close with a, a hymn, an appropriate one, I think. It's 398 in our hymn books. O breath of life.
come sweeping through us. Revive your church with life and power. O breath of life, come cleanse, renew us, and fit your church to meet this hour. O wind of God, come bend us, break us, till humbly we confess our need. Then in your tenderness, remake us, revive, restore, for this we plead. O breath of love, come breathe within us, renewing thought and will and heart. Come, love of Christ, afresh to win us, revive your church in every part. Revive us, Lord, is zeal abating, while harvest fields are vast and white. Revive us, Lord, the world is waiting. Equip your church to spread the light. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that in your mercy and your grace and your love, that you would come to your church afresh. Lord, we pray that we as individuals might be drawn to you, to love you more, to focus on you more fully and perfectly, to love you more dearly. Help us in this, we pray, to worship you from our hearts. Pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with us all evermore. Amen.